Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the beautiful game podcast as always i'm your host budge and i'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators dot and dead gents how are we doing this weekend i'm good budge man i'm excited for this one yeah it's, it's been, been a long time coming. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've been building up to this one isn't it yeah, yeah looking yeah. forward to it. how about you dead man yeah i'm excited for this one this one's been long in the pipeline mm. and you know it's a very special guest and we're happy to have him on here Absolutely, man. Also good to see you, man. I know you you you, you finally recovered from a, a nasty virus this yeah, week. I had a virus this week, so obviously I've taken my meds. There was no way I was going to miss but this. Absolutely. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Great news, man. So, listeners, we have a very, very special guest um, that, that that's coming uh, on the podcast today. A man on a mission. He's coming to dispel a few myths. He's coming to clarify a few common misconceptions. Um, he's 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 it, it, it certainly represents a, a a a major coup for us on the on the platform to have this 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 gentleman on um, and and to share his thoughts and views with us. He was um, at the, the Southern Daily Echo for four years. He then moved on to uh, the Daily Star and um, the South London Press for four years. And then uh, followed up with uh, the Daily the Daily Mirror for four years. So I think the number four is his, is his, uh, yeah, his special number. I mean, if, if if he's any decent playing in number four, I think my club are in desperate need of a of, of a number four, four to play in the middle of the park. You know, Van Dyke. so yeah, do you know what I mean? So um, you know, if if we can broker a deal, I can certainly put you in contact with someone. Uh, to, to make that happen. <laughs> but um, without further ado, we want to welcome Adrian Kajumba to the podcast, man. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you very much. That is, uh, that's some billing you've given me. I've <laughs> <laughs> got a lot to live up to. <laughs> right, so, so as we mentioned already, um, uh, Adrian is uh, um, a football journalist currently at the Daily Mail. Correct. Brilliant. Um, so I guess the, the best place for us to start, Adrian, is just a bit about your story. How did you come to... Uh, uh, journalism where, how did it all start for you has it always been an interest of yours and, and how do you find yourself where you, where you are at the moment yeah well, I feel quite lucky actually in, in terms of my career because I knew what I wanted to do from very very early 
uh, grew up in Mitcham and I used to do a paper round and that was what first got me into newspapers. Mm-hmm. I was sort of early, early to mid-teens, uh, delivering papers obviously to, to pe- through people's letterboxes and mm-hmm. taking a, a cheeky little look at the back pages yeah. while I was, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in between the houses. No, seriously. And uh, I'm trying to think, you know, what I sort of remember from those times. It was, it's kind of weird and I've only realised later on in life that I'm actually quite a similar age to Joe Cole. Um, right. And he was one of the players who was often, you know, We'll say often sporadically he was on the back pages at that time because mm-hmm. he was a wonder kid at West Ham. Yeah. I remember reading stuff about you know Joe Cole having this Adidas boot deal, which later on in life I found out he was getting the paid getting paid the same at that age um, as he as he was you know as some of the biggest players in the Premier League. And I remember sort of reading stuff like that and thinking as I'm delivering these papers to people, mm-hmm. you're kind of not me, but you know the journalists are setting the agenda for what those people are going to be thinking about and talking about during the day. And that really appealed to me to, yeah, to kind of have, uh, or to, you know, to aim to have a job that was that influential. Mm-hmm. So from then, you know, knowing at that age, as I say, mid-teens, that I wanted to be a journalist, it was all about then picking my, you know, my GCSE options, my A-level options, my university degree, mm-hmm. and then my postgraduate course. And they were all, all tailored towards all tailored job. towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to to college um, in Croydon, it was about doing sort of English language, media studies, PE and stuff like that. And then my degree was a journalism degree. And obviously my postgraduate course was specifically about journalism. So, you know, I know some people never know what they want to do until, you know, various stages later on in life. But I knew from quite early and it, it was, was really helpful. And it was all just, it was all stemmed really from, from that, that sort of paper round and, and mm. getting interested in newspapers that way. Fair play. And so after you'd finished your degree... Um, how easy was it for you to get your first break into your industry? Well, after I finished my degree, I did a six-month course um, at a place called Highbury College in Portsmouth. Um, so you do that, it was quite, uh, well, more than quite, it was very, very intense. I basically had to give up my life for six months because it was, it's a course that some people can do over a year, over 12 months, uh, sorry, over two years, mm. and sometimes even longer. And because this is a fast-track one, it was all condensed into that six months. Wow! So there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot to learn yeah. in a short space yeah, yeah. of time. I remember I, I used to used to go to the gym and stuff um, when I came out of uni, and I, you know even that just had to get sacked off. Basically, I just couldn't do it. Didn't have time because mm. I was living in Southampton at the time and getting the train to Portsmouth. So you know, with the travel, with the intensity of the course, I just had to give up everything. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, just throw myself wholeheartedly into this course. Um, and did, I, you, did you find that difficult to do, or um, were you so passionate? Oh, about it? Well, I t- I'll tell you what. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, um, I'm married now, and the, the, you know, she was my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. She would, uh, she'd happily tell you that um, I did find it difficult yeah, at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we had a place together in Southampton, and I almost, um, yeah, there was a point quite early on when I thought I might not be able to do this. Um, but at that time, it was when it was because I was trying to juggle everything. I was still trying to be the old Adrian mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. for that six months I, I couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, I kind of got over that little wobble finish the course and I remember actually it's quite interesting um, I kind of towards the end of the course they start uh, bringing an, an advertising the jobs on like a notice board um, that are you know effectively for students like us mm-hmm. as we were at the time you know the trainee journalists and there's one job I went for um, in a sort of part of Surrey um, and I didn't get the job and I was really disappointed um, I think it was one of my colleagues on the course who got it but what happened is I went for the interview um, and the lady who interviewed me remembered me because then another job came up mm. um at the same paper but covering a different area it was <laughs> it was sort of you know Streatham, sort okay. of south london basically yeah. where i was from yeah. yeah and she remembered me 
And uh, she ended up basically saying to me, we basically got this job. You know, we liked you. Come and do this. And it was, I'd never actually... How, how long after the first disappointment did that come Oh, up? it was pretty close. Fine. It was it was close. Um, I hadn't had time to do anything else in yeah. between. If you see what I mean. Okay. So yeah. That's um, and and it's quite interesting because I, I don't know I don't know whether it's deliberate, but there's a little part of me that's wondered, having now been to that area for that where that first job was, there's a little part of me that wonders if she just thought, you know what, for for a black kid from South London, you, that's not the area for you. You're not gonna mm-hmm. you're not gonna get on and you're not gonna get on and do that. You're not gonna mm-hmm. it's not gonna work with you. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the the one in South London was perfect. No, you know geographically. It was actually an area that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I never, I've never asked her whether there was that part of her which yeah, made her yeah. think that area is not for you. This one is, but if it is, she was, she was right. Yeah, yeah. It's fairly, mind, yeah, yeah. fairly logical conclusion to come to if, if mm. that played a part in her thinking. Fair point. Um, wow. Okay. So, so now we've we've gone through the point of you going through uni, studying, mm. getting your first job. Mm. Um, I guess. You you basically touched on it when you mm. were talking about being a young black male in journalism mm. um, and sort of finding your feet and that kind of thing. Um, I guess sort of the next question I'd want to ask is, in your career to date, um, you know, what would, if you could, I'm sure that there have been many highs and many lows, mm. but if you could single out a, one particular uh, a high and one particular low that, that stand out for you um, amongst all of the rest of them that, I would say, in some ways, maybe kind of shaped your career. Um, what would you say those 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 moments were? I'm, I must admit, I'm a little bit reluctant to say lows because mm. I kind of just think the, the the situations I've encountered are not. I don't know. They're just. It wouldn't be the right word to use. Yeah, I know, and only because only because experiences. Mm. Yeah, and only and only because they're just much more important things going on than me mm-hmm. so I struggle to say that anything that I've had to overcome is a low if you yeah, see what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know it's just like a little bit of perspective that yeah, I've got if yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. I had kind of one period in my career where I just thought I maybe wasn't getting the chances that I thought I should have been getting people were coming in and you know making progress above me mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the reason for that was but that's that's about as close as I would ever get to saying yeah I had a kind a of difficult period, mm. but yeah. But you know, even you know, it's, it's a sort of um, hurdle you can overcome quite easily. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of the world, it's really not that big a deal if you see what I mean. Yeah. You just yeah, kind of always. keep your head up and just keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perspective in, is key in those things. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't really say I've had any lows to be honest. Mm. Um, just because I, I feel I've got a sense of perspective on yeah. on life and things like that, but. In terms of highs, I would say, yeah, quite a recent one actually. The move, the move to the mail, and I know we're going to talk about it later, but mm-hmm. but getting that that kind of interview with with Wilfred Zahar to start off, to start off there, and 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 it's not even, it's it's because you know again we'll talk about it in a bit more detail, but it's because of the the kind of unwritten rule in journalism when you start a new job, you have to come with with something that you have to. Well, no, no, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not to say it's enormous, but it, there's yeah. a lot of not pressure, but you know, no one, you know, in fact, even my my boss said, you know, just just come in and you know do the job. But as I say, it's a bit of an unwritten thing to try and come and deliver something to start with, just to, mm. to hit the ground running. So you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into trying to to get something like that, and mm-hmm. when it when it materializes, when it goes from an idea to 
actually coming to fruition is is quite satisfying. So mm. yeah. I think since we're here we should just go into a bit more about that. So mm. how does it what is the process behind breaking an exclusive? How does it happen? Um, well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two, because that, that was that was an interview as such, so that, that involves obviously speaking to relevant people that can basically help you hmm. um, sort it out, effectively pitching your idea. Um, and, you know, it requires a bit of luck in the sense of timing. Hmm. Um, you know, Wolf was, I had some things he wanted to get off his chest and I just happened to ask <laughs> at the right time. So that was, yeah. that was quite fortunate. Yeah. Um, you know, know a few people around him. So that helped in, in, in the sense of me being a familiar face, um, mm. somebody that they could trust, uh, to speak to him, him having the time helped, you know, a lot of things that, that go into certainly something like that. Mm. Uh, I think what, you know, one of the main things. Uh, you know, I talked about that being an interview. There's obviously sort of exclusive news stories, um, but the, the kind of common thing between both is is just your contacts, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, knowing people that can help you out with information and put you in touch with the people you need to help tell a story. Basically. So, like in terms of okay, you broke that exclusive now. Is it one of those things that now that you've got that relationship, he will always come back to you to try and break another exclusive or it doesn't work like that in the in the journalist game? I would hope so. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, in fact, just from what I see, you know, Zahar's spoken to a few uh, different journalists in his time. So I don't know where that would put me in his mm-hmm. thinking, if that makes sense. Um, I'd, it, it might help with with other situations somebody mm. else might have seen it and yep, thought yep. okay you know he can be trusted to maybe not turn a player over or something like that because that's that's a big concern mm, that, um, that's players uh, people around them family members agents uh, clubs even will have um, with journalists that are going to be turned over and I just think he, uh, you know I would hope that he was he was happy with it and people the relevant people were happy with it and they mm. you know they know that you can be trusted in the future. I was going to ask, how are Palace with it? Because obviously Zaha's, you know, um, career is up in the air right mm. now. People are wondering whether he's going to stay or leave. Mm. So, do the clubs put out some deterrence like you can <laughs> ask this, but you can't ask that? Or was it an open field of what you could ask? I think that's, um, that's where you have to be, uh, how do I say this? You kind of have to have a responsibility as a as a journalist. You know, Zaha was very was very good. He spoke very openly, um, and you, you you kind of have to almost treat some of what he says just responsibly. You have to be responsible because there's certain things that him or any player in a, in a certain interview situation, which is quite similar to what we're sitting in now, they may they may say things, they may go off the record, and you have to be trustworthy and, and treat that stuff as off the record. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you know that you you just have to you have to almost think about that that trust that you need to build between the two of you, where if he does say something off the record, you have to respect that. Yeah, and you have yeah, to hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember there was a time Gary Neville came out and said, um, "I had to speak to Raheem Sterling first before I can say this on air," and mm, that's basically yeah, what you're talking that. about. Remember, remember about that? The, yeah. um, but I wanted to ask, um, is there any sort of scoop you can give our listeners in terms of where Saha's future possibly lies? TBG, you got to give us something, AJ. No, 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 no. Do you know what? Do you know what? I, 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 wish, I wish I could, but I think his situation um, is going to be very much up in the air simply because of 
the the valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Palace obviously won a lot of money. Uh, people will look at Wolfers R and say he's twenty six. Um, can we pay that amount of money uh, for a twenty six year old? He's obviously an incredibly talented footballer. Mm. Um, I, I do think the the price tag will be uh, an issue mm-hmm. in terms of the price tag that Palace wants. But I do think, and I, and I hope for for him as much as anything else, because I think he deserves um, a chance to to try himself back at that level. Mm. I hope that somebody comes to the table and puts a reasonable offer that may not be that much because it's it's a lot to ask. Um, mm. And I hope that some kind of compromise can, can be reached at Palace. I, I think there is a feeling at Palace that they don't want to hold him back as well. Mm. So I'm sure that if somebody does put you know reasonable. A, de- a reasonable amount of money on the table, it might not be the 80 million they want. Mm. Mm. From your understanding, I know he signed a contract last season. Last summer, yeah. Um, from your understanding, was there any sort of like release clause or not as far as I know? Deal? No, not as far as I know. I mean, obviously, that contract that he signed last year was reward for a very good season he had. He wasn't the top earner at the time, but he was quite clearly Crystal Palace's best player, so mm. he deserved to be mm. paid as such. Mm. Um, so, I, I, as far as I know, there's no release clause there. Um, so, Palace are free to put whatever valuation they want, and they're mm. obviously. Everyone who watches Crystal Palace Premier League football knows how influential mm-hmm. he is. Um, as I said, he's their best player, um, and even and, and beyond just being their best player, is the kind of talismanic impact he has yeah. on that team when he's not there. How they play, how their results are. Mm. You know, they obviously went over two years when they didn't win a game without him. Mm. You know, when he's not in the team and things like that. So it's not even just the ability that he's got; mm. it's the impact he has on the whole team. I, I would compare this situation to Eden Hazard as well at mm. Chelsea. I think. The fans, if they see him go, they won't begrudge him the move because mm. he deserves it. Mm. He served his time there. You know, he's proven himself. Mm. And I think some of the fans will say, you know what, Wolf deserves to, mm. you know, go to that next level. Mm. He's a player that should be playing mm. Champions League football year mm. in, year out, mm. especially being at the prime old mm. age of twenty six or when 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 the article when we you know, when when we put the article out, that was my that was my kind of one fear. Um in my one of my one of my fears was the reaction of fans, how you know how they'd react to seeing one of their players come out quite clearly and say that you know I want to play Champions League football. Fed, I want to go in the summer. Um, but I, you know, there were so many fans who took it like that, as you just said there, acknowledging he'd given them you know five years service, second time round. If he wants to become the player a player of his ability should become, we effectively need to let him go. I think there's a sense of that within Crystal Palace as well. Yeah, so it, yeah. I was, I was encouraged, you know, cause I was, I was wary that everyone's going to go, oh, how can a player come out and say this sort of yeah. stuff? So I was, it was, it was nice to see that there is that, um, that realism from a lot of Palace fans mm. actually about the yeah. situation. Cause I can speak for one, my manager at work is a Palace, big Palace fan. Um, and he said, all the best, like mm. if Palace get the valuation, they should let him go. Mm. Cause, He's done everything for that club, yeah. and he deserves to express himself at a higher level. Mm. And I'll tell you what else was good: um, how he how he finished the season as well after after that article. And obviously, it was the day before they went to Arsenal. That's why I was, I was looking at you as I said that. That was, that was a deliberate. Um, you know, he, he obviously there was a you know. By speaking the way he did, so openly, so honestly, you you mm. you automatically bring a focus on yourself. Yes, mm. yes. You know, to to be blunt, people will say, okay, well, if you're going to talk yourself up as a Champions League footballer, go and do it at a club who are you know associated so closely with the Champions mm. League as Arsenal have been over the last two decades. 
And he obviously went there, scored and won man of the match. And he was thinking, you know, personally, having spoken to him and not made him say what he said, but, you know, thinking being the person who, yeah. you know, put his words out there, it was it was good to see him do that. So, you know, when there was all that focus on him, can he, he play on the Champions League? Can he deliver yeah, yeah. under pressure? He went and did it and he had a great finish of the season. So it was it was nice, you know, because you you do you know naturally you, if you speak like that you do invite a pressure mm. you on yourself. Yeah, on you do. Yeah. You you bring a focus on yourself and people now. You know they would have been looking at him anyway, but even more so when you come out and say I deserve to be playing in the Champions League. Mm. When I see X, Y, and Z doing it in the Champions League, I think I should be there. You know that brings a natural uh, a spotlight which can't be avoided. So it was good to see him finish the season well, having put himself under a. a a bit of pressure if you like and, and show how he can deliver under that and yeah. it's probably you know he had a very a very good spell early on in the season after you know in and around the bat and he got um, for the red card at Southampton but the way he finished the season was just yeah, electric you know you had yeah. the last game of the season oh, when Bournemouth. you know <laughs> he's involved no, no, pushed him off, he's involved yeah, in all up. five goals I mean yeah, that, that, yeah. that would have been one of the best individual performances of the season yeah. and it was you know it was great to see you know after he came out saying what he did so I think timing works for him as well. He probably yeah. looked at uh, the the teams that he was probably playing, like yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, Mustafi's probably going to play Southampton. Where do you rank him in terms of? I say he's the best player outside. outside the top yeah, six. this is some, this is a, yeah. a debate that we had uh, mm-hmm. a while ago. We were asking about who were asking about who who. Well, you um, got battered people. when you said that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, he's, he's in that he's in that conversation. Leicester, Leicester have obviously got a lot of good players. You know, Madison, Madison's a good player. Felipe Anderson, Vardy. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, I mean, so he's, in, he's there. He's in so, that. So, oh, he's definitely, he's definitely in that in that conversation. Definitely in that mm-hmm. debate, and it just then comes down to a person's individual preference. But yeah. I can't imagine anybody could say he's not in that in that bracket of being one of the best players out of the top six. Outside the top six, sorry. Yeah. How much do you value on that? I I think if somebody came, you know, sort of 50, 65 million, I think you've got to look at the Riyad Mahrez transfer and say it's... Just so very, that the number you're saying one. gets him out or that's the number you value him out or is that the number that gets him out <laughs> I I <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know specifically the number that gets him out obviously Palace, Palace have said they want 80 million mm. um, I would like to think if if uh, a buying club were reasonable and then came to Palace and said we're going to pay 65 million for him I would think that given the acceptance at Palace that you know even even there's as I say there's an acceptance there that they feel that he's done as much as he can for them so we need to kind of let him go mm. and you know 65 million I would say is reasonable money yeah I would have thought so agent at the end of the transfer window do you think Wilfred Zaha is a Crystal Palace player yes or no <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> oh, I'm going to say no I don't think he will be I I hope somebody not not obviously Palace fans, I'm sorry. I, I I hope not not because I'd want him to leave Palace. For him to realise his dreams. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. I I hope somebody can can come up with the money and and give him that chance to to show you know as he as he spoke about how how he's perceived after the Man United experience. You know, there was I like got a real sense that he wanted to prove that that was not a true reflection of of him, his ability, the conclusions people have drawn about him. And his ability uh, are not fair, as he feels from from the many. And who who gets him? 
Uh, I, I mean, look, Arsenal, Arsenal looks like an ideal um, destination for him. Obviously, I know they didn't get in the Champions League and that's obviously been a big hit to their their, their finances and, and what they can do this summer. Uh, they got a few players that they, they need to move on, can move on. I, you know, it looks... It looks like that would be the ideal place for him to go if if that could if that situation could be made to work. Mm. I tell you what, I, I tell you what as well. I, I, you know, it might sound crazy, but going back to Man United wouldn't be the worst idea when you I look agree. when you look I at agree. when you look at what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's played under Solskjaer as well. Yeah, he's played under Solskjaer. Uh, you know, for for all that he said about his time at Man United, he, his issue wasn't with the club as such. It was just obviously with the individuals that he dealt with at the time. Um, that were in charge of the, the club, but if you know what what he needs now is to play every week at the highest level. Yes, I know Man United Arsenal both in the Europa League, but obviously still massive clubs. List you know, let's not be silly about that. Um, so you know that if you're looking at the two clubs that he would probably play every week at, who are in that top six. I know he wanted Champions League football, but they're in that top six. They would be the two. What about Chelsea as well? I think he starts for Chelsea. Oh, he, he would, but obviously they got the transfer ban, which is their issue. Oh, okay. So, um, do they I, apply for a, like a, 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 an exemption? Or they've, no, they've of? they've appealed it um, as it stands, but they've not appealed to freeze the ban. So what the, what their appeal is for is to try and get the punishment either overturned or reduced from right. two windows to one. Okay. Um, but they've not actually appealed to freeze the ban for the summer as of yet. So it looks like I mean it's a sort of I imagine it's a situation where where you get found guilty that you're going to be banned for at least one window. Mm. So I think the, the acceptance is let's try and um, get the punishment reduced so we could at least buy in January yeah. rather than yeah. potentially challenging it. And then, you know, sometimes when you get the, the frivolous appeals as they're called <laughs> against red cards, you can get, you could get the extra, yeah, yeah, yeah. extra game yeah. or the extra transfer window. Yeah, so I think there's, there's an acceptance or it seems to, it's going towards that way where there's, acceptance that we're going to get at least one window so maybe let's take it this window take it on the chin and then we can buy again in January fair point so just taking it back now to that uh, that article and mm. uh, that sit down with, with Zahar mm. so obviously now you've built up rapport with him you've you obviously have some sort of affinity towards him now and especially it being your first big piece at, at the Daily Mail you mm. know um, nice one to get the feet yeah, under the carpet it, it, really. exactly yeah. that right <laughs> so I guess the question I want to ask is, does that now make it difficult for you when in future, you're, let's say you're having to write a piece on Zahar, mm. he's underperforming at his at his club, you know, uh, let's say something, I don't know, something neg- negative happens or whatever mm. that you have to write and, and be honest about. Mm. Does it make it more difficult for you to do that because of the fact that, you know, you've, 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 you've met him one-on-one, you've got a relationship with him now. So you almost feel like you you know duty bound you, yeah you feel duty bound to, exactly that to I think what you we, I think what you have when you get to sit down with a player is you have a bit more context mm. sometimes from a distance when you when you've never met them you don't know their story you're judging them maybe purely well understandably you're judging them purely on what you see on the pitch mm. you don't have any context um, or empathy with them their story yeah what they've gone through so that's so you know when you talk about writing maybe a longer article mm-hmm. You've kind of got that which you can um, transmit in any sort of subsequent stuff you write. Uh, for example, one thing that I didn't get to write about because of just the workout I had was Zar was was talking quite a lot about how he uh, dealt with um, referees 
and mm. provocation mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, That's certainly been a big thing this year. Yeah, and uh, so obviously, you know, obviously he got the, the red card at Southampton for the sarcastic clapping, I think, of Andre Mariner, I think, was the referee. And he was explaining how, um, he was explaining in the interview mm-hmm. about how he now deals with that situation, mm-hmm. how he's how he's learned from that. And there was a game not long after, oh no, just before I'd spoken to him when he went to Newcastle and again, he was getting kicked all over the place, but he was just getting up. So, you know, I've got kind of an understanding of at least an explanation from him because I have seen games since I spoke to him when he had still reacted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he, he was explaining to me how he's trying to deal with it, how he's how he's trying to make the, the best of the situation. So maybe yeah. somebody who hadn't heard him say that and obviously, because yeah. I didn't get obviously because I didn't get yeah. to write about it. No one's heard him say that. Yeah. I'm the only one who's yeah, heard him it. say that. But you know, I've got that understanding. You heard it here first on podcast TVG, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I've, you know, I've I've got that kind of yeah. uh, understanding of what he was trying to do along those lines, mm. and also how how those previous situations affected him, how he reacted, and what was going on in his head. He was explaining about how you know he went back to the the dressing room at St Mary's and straight away he knew he'd done wrong and he knew he had mm-hmm. to come out and apologise straight away and he said he was saying oh, I've told, I'm telling myself from this day I'm not doing that again I'm not reacting mm-hmm. like that I've got to be better etc you know so you've got that yeah. kind of empathy and understanding of, of not everything they go through not, you know by any means but some, some of the things they go through on the pitch in terms of markings and ratings and stuff like that when you got when you got to criticise I think and I hope people in football um, know themselves first when they've when they've underperformed, when mm. they played poorly, when they're at fault, they shouldn't need um, they shouldn't need a journalist to um, paint them in a positive light if yeah. if if they haven't if they haven't delivered performed, the goods, yeah. yeah, if they haven't delivered mm. the goods, as you say, yeah. Um, and I, and you know we just have to you just have to be honest as journalists, you just have to call it how it is. Mm. If you if you end up in a confrontation with a player as a result of a mark you've given, you just have to explain to them, you know, there's no there's no agenda there. Mm. If you play poorly, you play poorly. Um, the amount of footballers and, and people in the game who you speak to, who we have to write about, who say, I'm my biggest critic. I know mm. first, I don't need somebody to tell me I I play badly. And I would hope that that is the case. So if you have to give somebody a negative, negative mark, you have to do it. Mm. You can't, you know, we as journalists, we can't pull the wool over people's eyes. If, if Zahar plays poorly and I give him an eight something yeah like, what have you done <laughs> there backlash, you? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know it's, it's I can't I can't lie to people yeah yeah what what happens is and you know you, you know 2019 everyone sees everything yeah so yeah, it's, yeah. you know it's, it would be, it'd be then, even yeah. harder to, yeah. to tell people that you know yeah. someone's had a someone's yeah. had a worldie when yeah. they haven't yeah yeah you know, people see fair point so just I've got a quick question finally mm-hmm. before we move on, right? Um, due to both of you being, you know, black, mm-hmm. do you think he was more open? He was more comfortable talking to you or? Do you know what I would say about that? I would say, and I thought this actually as he was talking, if, if certain people spoke to him, they may not understand him and or they may I, I just think I had you know so I'm not a multi-million pound footballer blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah but you know Wilfred Zahar once, you know, once he came over he's a boy from South London he's a black boy from South London yeah, yeah, yeah. same as me yeah exactly so there would be things he was doing mannerisms 
body language, words he's saying that you can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, sorry, Richmond Kissy last week came on and said he didn't get along with his manager because every time he'll be like, "Oh, what are you saying, guys?" Mm. They think he's arrogant. Mm. Therefore, he's rude. He doesn't care. But that's just how he is mm. with people from his area. Yeah, and then there's even. Even just the way we talk as people from South London, yeah. you know, I hear, I remember seeing Clinton Morrison on TalkSport yeah. and somebody, somebody called in or tweeted in the show and said, why does he talk like a gangster? He doesn't talk like a gangster. He's just from South London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? It's just, I mean, I, I looked at it and I, I kind of was just messaging friends and I was thinking, it's almost like just being like from up north and somebody pulling somebody up on their accent. It's mm, not, yeah. they're not being anything. It's just, it's just the way they are. It's just yeah, where they're from. Yeah, that's it. It's, the way it's not an act. act. Yeah. That's a good and, question, though, that you're and, and, very important. And, and, you know, there was... You know, Zahar would have been a certain type of way, and I just think for certain people, they might they may have... He's an incredibly animated character. Lots of hands, lots of arms. Yeah, exactly. Facial expressions, everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, the things he's saying and the way he says them, and I just think certain, certain people... Look, I'm, you know, I'm not saying... You know, you could put me in certain situations and I may not be able to empathise with a person because we're yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. But in this one, I was on the same page, roughly, as the person I was talking to. Yeah. And that may have meant certain things that were normal to me might have been abnormal to another person mm-hmm. and they may have drawn certain conclusions about him which I didn't because mm-hmm. I just go that's normal. Yeah. That's what I've grown up around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he may I don't know I don't know um he might have felt okay to be a certain way. I've never I didn't ask him or didn't ask anyone who's in the room. Mm. He might have felt okay to be a certain way because mm. he saw somebody spoke like him and yeah. he could relate to maybe. I don't know. Mm. Um but yeah, I mean there are certain things I think maybe somebody may have put in a piece mm. about him. That I didn't because to me yeah. they're just normal. Yeah, yeah. other people yeah, of, course, have of course. And I think and that made for a better product as well because yeah, he could yeah. relate to you. Mm. It wasn't standoffish. Mm. You know, he felt a common ground, mm. and I think that gave the great article that we saw. No, it was interesting actually because when he when he first started, um, when he first started talking, actually, he was a little bit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think he was a little bit guarded. I think his guard was up a little bit. And he started mm. talking, and then. By the end, I yeah. mean, I was speaking to him for ages, an hour and a half, mm. an hour and a half out of him, which is, you know, incredible for a sit-down of a Premier League footballer. Definitely. You're normally getting sort of 10 minutes if you're lucky yeah, before someone's yeah, yeah, over exactly. your shoulder, like, um, you know, tapping the watch, yeah. Fergie style. Um, <laughs> but he was, he was, he was so, he was so comfortable in yeah. the end and it was, no, it was good. It was yeah, I was going to say, yeah, a certain element of that surely is like, you know, beforehand off air. You know, you're not talking breaking the ice, breaking the ice mm. and stuff like that, and then he starts to feel like, okay. You know, yeah, I think I think naturally nowadays um, there's um, there's an apprehension, there's a scepticism from people in football about journalists. I think, and it's quite hard to break that because it's kind of it's a culture now. I think, mm. I think the way clubs treat journalists. Um, very general. I'm talking very, very generally because I have some very good clubs, which mm. I should point out. Some very good clubs, we, how they deal with the journalists. But I think very generally, there, there's a culture of um, distancing um, journalists and footballers. Mm-hmm. I speak to some of my my slightly older colleagues, and they they talk. You know, I'm sure you've heard the stories about journalists going to pubs with players mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. games and stuff like that. It was just a it was just a different era. Now it's a lot more controlled. You know, we have the press conferences. We can only go once, twice a week. That's when you get the chance to speak to a manager. Mm. Some of my colleagues mm. remember days when you used to just be able to call up the training ground. The secretary would go, oh, yeah, I'll just go and get the manager. And you would just, you know, the manager would just come mm. and just, you know, talk over the phone. Yeah. That's 
It's not like that anymore. Correct so me, I've, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they try to strip it back in the World Cup with the England national team and the journalists? They tried to bring that relationship back. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And I noticed they did it with the, the women's team as well. Um, but that's you know to that's to the credit of the FA. Okay, this is very proactive okay, yep, to do yep. that to mm. try and break down the barriers mm. and the skepticism, as I say, that there is that is been allowed to build up and that scepticism I talk about from the players I don't I don't think as such that it's from them I think it's just the culture that the, the clubs generally have been mm. uh, of kind of their attitude to, to journalists mm. um, yeah, so you, like, you can only speak then um, no this player is not speaking today when they walk through the mix zone after a game Yeah, and it kind of just, just builds up the culture and also you, you know there'll be agents and other representatives around players as well so it's not just the clubs um, but there's just just been a, a situation that's allowed to develop that's distanced players uh, from newspaper mm, journalists you get anyway. the feeling like clubs maybe um, feel that um, journalists are out to get them yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, that's, and, that's why, and that's why that's why I stretched it from not just clubs um, to also include the people around footballers as well because and you know, you know, some some players as well maybe may even take that decision upon themselves mm-hmm. as well. So I want to be clear, I'm not just having a you know, yeah, some people clubs and stuff. Some self-imposed, yeah, some some, yeah. some players will do it themselves because they'll feel they've been harshly treated once, so they won't want to, they won't want to speak again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's just just very very generally, there's just been a gap that's grown, yeah, um, between players and between players and journalists, which is it's hard to kind of build back. But things like you know that England day that they did yeah. was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be obviously great if clubs were able to to do the same thing. Um, but yeah, fair point. And and sort of the last question on the the article mm. um, uh, with with Zahar. So obviously we mentioned that that was like your first big piece mm. um, at, at, at the Daily Mail. So a really really good way to introduce yourself there. Did does it is it almost like so an article like that obviously would have. You know, it, I mean, it, it done it done really well on Twitter. It's still blowing it's still, up. It's still, it's still blowing up the internet at the moment, Garnered right? A lot of traction. It, yeah. it, that's that's certainly the phrase. Yeah, yeah. So does that like? How do I how do I put this in the best way? You, you're obviously constantly writing different articles mm. and so on and so forth. But is there like a grace period that you've allowed yourself until you have to write another article that that, that has the same sort of effect, uh, um, effect and impact, like? So okay, this can do this can this can this does it for, it, this, uh, for, for a, a month, like a month or two months, and then you've got to hit you've got to hit everyone with another top draw article that does that has the same effect. Is there like a grace period that you allow yourself almost? It's probably about two hours, and then <laughs> <laughs> I think people, yeah, and obviously the two hours it comes out half ten the night before the paper's even out. So mm-hmm. no, I think I think um, in our job, you know, it's it's good to do something like that, and uh, but you know you. It, you have to not so much people forget but you, you just have to keep producing yeah basically yeah. you can't you can't rest on your laurels basically no you can't live off something that you did was now two months ago yeah you have to keep you have to keep producing producing because i just think people not forget as i say they don't forget but football's constantly changing yeah, there's always yeah. news there and... is yeah yeah you can't you can't rely on things that you've yeah, done but i remember mm. there was a debate quite a while back saying that like journalism isn't the same you don't get the insightful pieces because there's so much pressure for you guys to release Mm -hmm. 24 hours release Mm -hmm. match report this that that there's no real analysis anymore it's Mm -hmm. just who can get the most out Mm -hmm. as quick as possible is that 
Is that how it is now? Or? I think it, it depends because there are so many different types of journalists, journalists within the industry. Um, you do have some guys with columnist feature writers get a bit more time to do, you know, their line of work. You get people like myself who are sort of more on the newsy side who are writing maybe the shorter articles with less analysis, um, trying you know trying to be as informed as possible. So we're doing a slightly different thing. We you know we're the ones who are kind of under the under the pressure to be first um and as you say put that stuff out 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 mm. um some people have more time so they're, they're, you know there are different strands to the industry people doing different things but generally what you mentioned there that's one of the impacts of social media okay um everyone has an outlet now yeah. if they choose to be on twitter for example because that's um and i think what you find as well there are a lot of a lot of fans as well also inform themselves. You know, they got their own connections within football clubs and, you know, they're able to um, put news information out um, under different, I'll say, restrictions um, to a news... You know, they're, they're, they're kind of... Their rules and guidelines are different to maybe what, what a newspaper may have. Um, we've, we have to, you know, they'll have to protect contacts contacts and their sources of information as well. Um but when you put something out on Twitter, it's different to splashing it on the back page of a newspaper, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. things like that. Um, but that 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 demand to to produce constantly uh, that you just spoke about there, that that need to, um, or the accusation that there's less analysis and things, it's because you know that, well, partly because one of the things we're competing up against is the immediacy now that has come from social mm. media. Every, everyone, you know, before. In in a time gone by, um, as I was saying before we started, you know, you had to wait until half ten yeah, day yeah, bit, to yeah, see to yeah. see the goals. Mm. Now they're dropping ten seconds after they've been scored. Yeah, yeah. so that means that even you know by the time match of the day comes on, even those guys are working on that program. They have to show something different, and that's mm. what makes the mm. likes of Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, when they're doing their analysis so good because they're not just saying things like "great goal." Because <laughs> Joe Average was saying that. At three fifteen, after he saw the goal himself, so you need to you need to tell why it was you you need to tell something different by the time match of the day comes on. Mm -hmm. And newspapers are you know working on the same. You know, people have seen the description of the goal, or they don't need the goal described because they've seen it. Yeah. So now you need to tell them when you're doing your match report something different. Um. So that's you know that's one of the things we're we're up against, and it it has its own challenges, and Mm. people are just adapting as. The world is adapting to, to social media and things like that. Yeah, that's it. I think that's a really good question because that also ties in with uh, you know something that I was going to ask. And I mentioned to you guys off air like there was a, a clip that I saw fairly recently, which was an, an interview. Then Denzel Washington was being interviewed by uh, a news reporter, and he basically um, just spun the question um, and, and and hit back at that this reporter yeah. and was basically speaking about the fact that you know it, it it's almost the case that there's no there's there's no onus to be factual anymore it's just to be first so even if what you're putting out isn't true as long as you're the first to say it you know that that that's that's what uh, everyone's focus is um and i guess that that sort of leads me to the question and, and to ask is 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 that is that the case within journalism like because i i and when i when i think about this particular question i um have in my mind um the, the, the whole concept and, and topic of transfers. Mm. So being an Arsenal fan, this is something that I, I, I experienced firsthand, right? So in my mind, 
I have this belief that the j- journalists are supposed to be representatives of fans. Mm-hmm. So when you're in um, press conferences or whatever, you're supposed to be asking the you're questions. You're the voice, you're of, the the voice of the fans. So yep. you're asking the questions to the managers, to uh, coaches and whatever that fans want to know the answers mm-hmm. to, right? And obviously, like, you, journalists will know... The, you know the the kind of players like for example for Arsenal every everyone knows what Arsenal need mm-hmm. every everyone knows the kind of profile of of player that Arsenal need and so we often see that the the, the summer transfer window is just the longest time for us because mm-hmm. we are linked to 20 million players throughout the whole of the window <laughs> a day before the window closes we sign someone from uh PSV second team do you know what I mean <laughs> and it's like all of all of this, like all, throughout all of this period, we've been getting linked with all of these people. You're putting out all of these people that we're being linked to, mm-hmm. and yet still, like, how, how factual is it? Like, mm. are you plucking finger? Like, are you plucking uh, names out of <laughs> out of out of the air just because you know that that fits the the profile? How true is what you're saying? Very good question. Very good question. And I would say, from my own experience, the accusation that things are plucked out of the air is one of the well, not worst, but it's it's incorrect. Yeah. Nothing is ever plucked out of the air. There's all, always there, some there, sort there, of there will always no be some. Fire. Yeah, there will always. I've I've never written a transfer story, for example, that didn't come from somebody credible who I knew was connected to a situation <laughs> and would know basically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as I explained, as I was saying before before we started, one thing I would always advise. <laughs> Uh, you know, not so much that fans need to listen to me for advice, but anyone who's reading a story in a newspaper transfer story needs to actually read what the story says. It's, mm-hmm. It sounds like quite simple advice, but, yeah. but what I mean by that is sometimes people will, and people will accuse journalists of doing this actually, some people will put two and two together and, and get five. And by that, in, in, in terms of reading the story, <laughs> in terms of reading the story, what I mean by that is they'll see Arsenal, they'll see the player, mm-hmm. and the leak they'll make is Arsenal signing the player. Mm-hmm. Story might not say that. Story might say Arsenal watching that player. It might say Arsenal watch that player ten times. Factually correct information. Yeah, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sign him. Mm. But the fact that Arsenal are watching a player, looking at a player, interested in a player, they may not sign him for a variety of reasons. Mm. Maybe competition. They may not be able to agree to fee. Manager may change his mind. Last, you know. Mm. But that still makes a story correct. Very rarely are journalists predicting the future. They're just right. telling you what is happening at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might come back to me and say, oh, well, why do people write a sto- uh, about a transfer story if they don't know it's going to happen? Mm-hmm. But fans still want to know who their club are interested in. Yeah, but you don't, you don't want to... You, if you know that your club need a defensive midfielder, mm-hmm. you don't want to wait till the end of the window and find out that you have or haven't signed them. You at least would, would want to know they're trying yeah. to get yeah. one. Getting up who, yeah, they're, who they're looking happening. at. I think three days ago I read... Oh, I didn't read I saw the headline... Mo Salah to Man United. That's what I'm trying to say. Some of these things clickbait or like. Oh, do you know? I I I I actually saw one, and I don't I don't know. I can't I, I can't vouch for that. I can only speak from my own experience, which is I've never written anything that had not you know incredible. didn't come mm. from a, a a credible source, a connected source, mm. somebody who would know what was going on, mm. you know, at a given time. Um, I mean, and obviously then you have, you know, you talk about stories like that. You have to look at. Where it's come from, obviously some some out some some outlets. No, no, no I'm, being, I'm being serious. Some some outlets are, are obviously written off by fans. I see it happening myself. I know that mm. when fans see certain stories from certain places, 
you just ignore it and obviously that's just that's just designed to to generate clicks mm. um, for example that's, Click that's the phrase yeah, that, mm. that people use um, so you know it's all about looking at where the story's from and actually reading the detail in the story yeah mm. um, so there wasn't a detail so, so how does it work because from my from the outside looking in most journalists break the news at the same time. How, how how is it like that? Why does that happen? Like, for example, let's say Liverpool news comes out. Mm-hmm. Melissa Reddy, Paul Joyce, James Pearce, they all come out at the same time and break the same story. Mm-hmm. How, how does that work? Like, what is the process behind it? Uh, sometimes it can be embargoed news, which means is it's if it's come from the clubs that are going to sign a player mm-hmm. or they're going to... Mm-hmm. Give a player a new contract or something like that. Mm-hmm. They'll have the news and they'll have a relationship with a journalist who cover that club. Yeah, that we're going to release the news on our website X amount of time. We'll give you the heads up so you can do it at the same time. Mm. Um, so sometimes there are those relationships that exist. Mm. Um, so it, it, sometimes it, dep- it depends where the information has come from. Um, some contacts, for example, will speak to multiple journalists. So if they've given two journalists the same information mm. for example they may decide to say look I know this guy I also know her you two speak you guys decide when you want to put it out things like that so you will say the general news break when uh, let's say five people from the same club um, that cover the same club mm. break the news you will mm. say that comes from the club yeah sometimes it can come from the club it, it depends they're briefed by the club basically yeah, yeah? Be, yeah, yeah and then in terms of breaking news that no one knows mm. You're the first person to break this transfer news. For example, mm-hmm. Kevin Palmer. I remember him breaking the Van Dyke news a week before everyone. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's the perfect pr- Christmas present for all Liverpool fans. Mm-hmm. How does that kind of scoop come out? Like, how do you find that? Oh, I mean, there are multiple ways. Could it come from either club? Could it come from Liverpool, Southampton? He could know Van Dyke's agent. <laughs> okay. Southampton's family. Mm-hmm. He might even know Van Dyke himself. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He may, He may know somebody in the football industry who's got wind of the situation mm. uh, yeah there's so there's so many ways information can come out mm. these days um it's uh yeah it's not it's not simple to say and uh, um, yeah that's that's one thing i know is because what i've realized is that a lot of the clubs get stick or oh, why are you briefing the journals this and that but you can't control what happens from the player side or his family mm. or people that know him that break it so it's pretty difficult for clubs to control this, right? In terms of news breaking. Like, for example, there was a big criticism of my club, Liverpool, saying that Liverpool release all their targets, they're so stupid, they break news, and then they disgrace themselves. But more often than not, is it that this comes out from outside of the club? It can do. Like, and, and the other thing that I, I've learned from this industry is it's actually better to talk. Because if you do talk, you influence what is out there. If you stay silent, yeah. then you give journalists. You know, we still got the same mm. space for. We still got to write the same stories. Mm. So if people don't talk, mm. then we we have to go through other routes to to get stories. So so you know, you talk about, for example, Liverpool situation and everyone um, breaking the story at the same time. Mm. From Liverpool's perspective, you can see why they might want to do that because it it may stop journalists in that area trying to go going off trying, yeah. trying to find mm. out who their transfer targets are who mm. they're going to give a new contract to who they're yeah. going to yeah. sign because they know that when the time comes for them to when the time comes for Liverpool to announce something 
the guys out there will know. See, we don't look at of it from course, that point definitely. of view. We just think, oh, these journals, they, Liverpool are stupid. Blah, blah, why are they releasing to the journals? The Van Dyke. Remember when they got nicks for the Van Dyke tapping oh, yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you telling journals? Blah, blah, blah. But it's not, it's not that black and white. There's mm. a lot of factors behind it. No, no I mean, and even, you know, no, knowing what I do of Liverpool, which is not much because I don't cover them, but I, I do know some of you know cover the, the media guys up there. They only would have spoken about that Van Dyke situation at the time if they were pretty confident that it was going to come up. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, because Liverpool was weird when they um, got caught, they withdrew their interest. They said, mm. you know what, we're not interested mm. no more. He's going to stay at Southampton. And I think a few months later, they went back in, got the mm. job done. Yeah, so you know, they had, at the time, they would have, you know, they would have been fairly confident that we can put this out that you know we're gonna we're gonna get Van Dyke obviously they misjudged Southampton mm-hmm. um, but you know you, you live and learn don't you mm-hmm. and they've got the play in the end I know you have yeah. a close relationship with Southampton how yeah. how was their feelings at the time that broke oh Southampton Southampton I'm just trying to think who was there at the time um, I, I think when what you, what you, the risk that Liverpool ran mm. when they when they do that is is obviously what happened. They antagonised Southampton. They embarrassed jump, themselves. Jump, jump yeah. the gun <laughs> <laughs> when you haven't when you haven't got it all lined up. Yeah, um, and left themselves open. Mm. Left themselves open. Again, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's certain information they could have they could have released that would have made Southampton's reaction not be as annoyed as they were. Mm. Um, you know, they could have maybe just said we're interested or mm. blah blah blah. I think they went a little bit further from what I remember in terms of what they said about Van Dyke. <laughs> you know, I think um, they're saying that Van Dyke has chose Liverpool. He's rejected yeah, Man City. Yeah, blah yeah, blah. Yeah. 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 So you know, it's it could just be changing a couple of words and you get a totally different mm. story, a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. And they would have got Van Dyke in the summer rather than having to wait until the, the January. Then. I know there was a lot of talk, like in terms of um, clubs interested. Who was actually in for him? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I think Man United came in for him quite late. They, United, a strange club. They seem Apparently to. Man was having these medical. <laughs> Then they made a call and they're like, you know what, he's at Liverpool already. They came quite late for Bale as well. What about, were Man City in for Van Dyke? But they knew that. They were at the very, very start. Mm -hmm. When it became clear that Van Dyke was basically the best defender in the league, I think Man City were there. Um, And then, yeah, he's obviously decided to go for Liverpool. So you felt at the time he was the best centre-back in the league, even at Southampton? Yeah, yeah, Yeah? I did, yeah. Mm, It was him him and and Alderweireld. I was happy to hear that. Before, he he obviously got the uh, ankle injury. I think it was Jamie Vardy who hurt his ankle and then he came back and obviously there was the stuff that happened in the summer. Um, when he didn't get the move and it looked like he was playing within himself. A hundred percent, yeah. It was automatically but fine. At the again. start of that season, yeah. it was unbelievable. I watched quite a lot of Southampton and found he just had everything. Mm. And you and you've seen it this season. Try and mm. test him anyway. You can't. Alondo? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one actually. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting because ultimately what you're doing is you're judging a defender and a goal scorer, a creative player in Messi. Mm. They're probably going to be the top two. Both of them unbelievably consistent. Messi over 50 goals again. Mm. I mean, for me, it literally just comes down to who won the semi-final, which was Liverpool. And obviously then Liverpool go on and win the trophy. And I mean, look, Messi, Messi's the most 
talented player in football and he probably will be until he retires but um, I, I, I like the idea of the Ballon d'Or rewarding somebody who's had an exceptional year because you might only have a year like that once in yes, your career mm-hmm. yes yes um, so look if, if Van Dijk look, as I say Messi's Messi the most talented player on, on the planet Ronaldo's output's frightening as well mm-hmm. um, and then, you know there are others others as well but if, if Van Dijk gets it I don't think anyone it'll will it'll be a nice refreshing change as well yeah. and the, the way the, I look the, at it is Van Dijk will probably just win it once next year Messi can mm. win it again mm. the year after yeah. he's still got two Pro- three years left problem is, though, the problem is it was kind of horror yeah. how long ago was that do you know what I mean yeah, Pro- but, problem is though, you say that um, and obviously people are saying that last year when Modric got it mm. and you're thinking oh Messi's going to come back and win it and then Van Dijk's had now Van okay. Dijk's challenged yeah. him as well so maybe somebody else will have another yeah, it's true. so it's, it's difficult it's whether you do reward you know as I say the most talented player on the planet or, or do you reward somebody who's had an outstanding individual year but I mean for me that you know in I know Messi had a very good first leg in the new camp but both against Man United Old Trafford and Liverpool Anfield he nowhere to be seen really that old Trafford he suffered that nasty knock and, and then that, and that was it yeah that was it yeah, yeah but I think it was alright against Liverpool I'm not gonna lie he was he created every single chance in on the new pitch no at Anfield, Anfield. But then, but then Messi had a pretty good first leg, so I don't know. It's it's very then, very. It's really I think what decides it is the Copa America. If Messi goes and leads his team to national glory, I think he's a he's a hundred percent certified to get that award. Mm-hmm. If they're full short, it's gonna be Messi has flopped again on the international stage mm-hmm. and I don't think he'll get Especially it. after Ronaldo's just won the National yeah. League. Yeah. I think there's too much pressure I think on Messi. That, yeah. I, if I had to rank my top three right now, it will be Van Dijk, mm-hmm. it will be Messi and at the moment I think Bernardo Silva yeah, should yeah. be in that conversation mm-hmm. because he's mm-hmm. won the UEFA Nations League for Portugal, mm-hmm. had an amazing season for Man City mm-hmm. and he's won Four accolades this year, so yeah. we have to give him some credit. Yeah, yeah. definitely, mm. definitely. I'm interested to see how, how and where Sterling progresses in the next few years, mm. and also now Hazard's gone to Real Madrid because Eden Hazard is a player who mm. can who can turn it on as and when he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the games in the World Cup for Belgium last year. He just it was literally like he just decided. I'm just going to perform today, yeah. and he just did. Yeah. Okay, and well, obviously I mean, at, at Chelsea, he's, he's had that. You know, if he if he ever has a quiet game at Chelsea, he's let off. You know, because he's done it more often than not. Yeah, at Real Madrid, yeah. he can't have those off games. That's the thing. So but he, okay, he, that, that that's a great point that you made because, in my opinion, there's talented players mm-hmm. and there's top players. Mm-hmm. Do do you get where I'm coming from? So let's take Hazard away from this because Hazard is a world class player. Mm-hmm. I, I give him that, but. Is a talented player a good player? Because if I go to work and I perform... I'm talented, mm. but I perform once every 10 days. Mm. Is that a top player? It's not. I must admit, a top player performs week in, week out. Yeah, yeah I must admit, inconsistency is, is one of the most frustrating things. Um, I mean... Like, for example, Meza Ozil, is he a top player? We know that he's got the ability, but he doesn't administer that ability week in, week out. But... Is he a top player? If somebody wanted to tell me that he wasn't, I wouldn't argue with them because he doesn't deliver every week. But he's a talented player. He's, he's talented. one of the most talented yeah. players in very, the league. Very, very talented. Um, but 
you know, you watch the Europa League final, nowhere to be seen. I think that was just typical of what Arsenal fans have become used to. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very more than valid argument that there is a difference between somebody who delivers week in, week out um, at, you know, very good level mm. to somebody who does it once every three, four games. And where where did you rate Hazard as a as a player in terms of was he the best in the league? Was he is it Kevin De Bruyne? Is it Mo Salah? Is it Van Dijk? Is it Sterling? Who who is it for you? Probably Kevin De Bruyne is probably the most complete player in the league. I, I actually think that the players, you know, this is quite going to sound quite strange, but you know the player with the actual the most range of attributes in the Premier League is probably actually Paul Pogba. But he just doesn't deliver. If Again, you, is he a you, talented player? Look, or is he a top player? If you, if you look at a central midfielder, yeah, an yeah. attacking player, and you look at what Pogba can do, he can do everything. Yeah. Are we sure we're not overdoing it? No, no, he can do everything. Yeah. He can tackle, he can pass. Can he, he tackle? Can score, he's got skill, he can do it all. He's got the engine, he's got the physical attributes. So what is he's it? Mental, he's a he's, really, he's, 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 he's got everything and he's not producing. He's got so technique. what is the problem? That's a talented player. That that he he's not. Maybe well, maybe he needs to go to Madrid as well and be under that pressure to deliver every week. And we'll yeah, see. but the thing is about Real Madrid is one week, two weeks. The minute the crowd turned, that's it. You're not coming back. And we've seen it with Coutinho. We've seen it with Bale. What Bale's done for them. Fans of sport. I think even someone mentioned that even uh, at the unveiling of, of Hazard, they were talking about, they were talking about but, but, but people again are putting Imagine. this out of context. Come on, 55,000 came to the Bernabeu that day. They were happy to see Hazard. Let's not be yeah. silly here. But uh, they're now saying, okay, Hazard, cool. Mbappe next. Like, bring him in. Like, it's not, they wasn't doing it disrespectfully. They're fans of sport. Just get all these World Cup players and you're just expecting the next one now. <laughs> Come on, nice. imagine Mbappe and nice. Hazard on the wings. That's just going to be... To answer your question, though, I mean, the De Bruyne, it's a shame he has obviously had the injury problems he's had this season just finished because... I think, you know, the year before when they, they got the 100 points, unbelievable. Mm. I think he's the best player in the league. Um, and I do, I, I think, because of the consistency that he delivered the season mm. before when they got 100 points. And, you know, when the, 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 you know, the debate came up towards the end of the season, who's the best player in the league, there was Hazard. People were talking Salah. For me, I think it would be... Did you vote for him last season? Football writers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ahead of Salah? 44 yeah. goals? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Who would have had your vote this year? Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I didn't actually vote this year, but it would have uh, split between. Do you know what? I don't know. I probably would have just tossed a coin on the day I had to vote between yeah. Sterling and yeah, Van Dijk because yeah. it was. It, it's not even about who who wins the league as such. You, you kind of you know I know that's that's part of it, but they were both so good, and obviously you're making a decision before the league is is finalized as well. So, mm. do you do you think that was um, a tokenism award, or do you think? That was actually like a round of applause to his performance. Um, t- well, two things. I, d- I don't think it would have been tokenism because he his performances were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Twenty five goals or something mm-hmm. yeah. from out wide. Yeah. So you know, anyone who does that, they're not getting an award as tokenism. Um, but the thing about the football writers award is there is actually an acknowledgement of how you conduct yourself, and I can't even remember it was a couple of years ago. Suarez. Suarez. So yeah. we obviously you remember yeah, when Suarez yeah, yeah, won the award, yeah, there, there, there was the debate yeah. about whether he should get it because mm. of you know the racism thing with Luis Suarez. Mm. 
you know, some of his antics on the pitch, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, gets a bit hungry. And oh, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, there's, there's the biting, there's the, yeah, the diving yeah. accusation, things like that. You know, some of his antics on the pitch, pitch are questionable. So the the way you actually conduct yourself does actually have an impact on, on the Football Riders mm. Award. And obviously the way Sterling has conducted himself this year um, is, you know, in the, the face of what happened at Stamford Bridge, the the light he's shone on on the whole the racism debate, um, you know, both when he's been deep with England and with his club, you know, mm-hmm. it it plays a part. It's it's not the football Rise award is not purely just about what you do on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So in terms of him being mm-hmm. an example to to young you know youngsters and, and people in football and and what he's done in terms of driving the debate on racism mm-hmm. deserves recognition as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Fair point. I've got a bit of a random question now. Yeah. Um, and that is, do you, are there a lot of freebies um, in in being uh, a journalist? Or more specifically, do you get to go to a lot of games for free? Um, do you get uh, access to clubs, like tra- uh, uh, training facilities, for example? Can you go and have a look around, look at the players whilst they're training, that kind of stuff? Do you, do you um, get... Freebies? Hmm... I'll do I'll do the I'll do the the matches first. Yeah, we do go to matches free because we're we're paid to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know that's if it's we don't have tickets, yeah, we don't have to sweat things like that. We have media accreditation and that gets us into the games. Terms and of, that's literally any game you want. Well, to go sorry, to. it's not any game mm-hmm. because I couldn't just rock up to a stadium and say, "Here's my media accreditation. I yeah. want to come in." It's only yeah. games that I'm there to work. I can only go to games that I'm there okay. to work for. Yeah, you may know somebody at a club. Um, well enough who if they've got space in their press box and you're say on holiday for example okay. say I wanted to go to a game today and I wasn't mm. working they might be able to yeah. get you in they might but there's no no guarantee and um, so do you I've have to apply to work for certain games like yeah, for example yeah. Champions League final everyone's going to want to be there yeah. so how, what's so you're, the process you're, like you're, for... well to be honest it's um, it's kind of to, you know your your seniors and the secretaries at work who do all the process. I'm not mm. actually familiar with who okay. they have to speak to exactly and, yeah. and how they go about doing it, how long the process takes and stuff. Um, my boss just tells me where I gotta go, and I turn up there. In terms of the access at training grounds and stuff, um, we only go to training grounds when there's effectively designated media days. So that would right, be okay. pre-match press conferences yeah. or if they're doing media days, I like Spurs and Liverpool would have done ahead of Champions League yeah, final and yeah. stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it's not just a case of turning up and at a, pre- at a training ground and thinking you're going to get in. Yeah. If anything, you'll be told where to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're not meant to be there. Um, I think at certain training grounds, you can almost be told where to go even on the day you are meant to be there. So, yeah, yeah. definitely don't turn up on the days you're not meant to be there. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And the reason why I asked that is because I wanted to ask you, who is the best player that you've seen live? And I, I, I wanted to ask, like, not only just in 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 a game situation, mm. but maybe in because tra- you know there's some players that like in training mm. they are a completely different mm-hmm. thing, and, and even some people that you 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 argue like on a match day, why has this person been picked? Mm. But you never know; they could have just been absolutely killing it in in, yeah. in training in the week. So I wanted to ask. From your personal experience, who's the best player that you've seen live, both in training and in? Oh, and do you know? If, no, do you know what? If, I've, if, because I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit of the process. When we get to watch training, it's often not very long. Mm. So on the days when we are allowed to watch a training session, 
it would be it's often European games where you're allowed I think it's 15 minutes okay. and that's the only time that the training session is open and obviously a manager team coaches are not going to be doing anything yeah, anything yeah, serious yeah, in that time yeah, 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 it's basically yeah. for us to see who's in the training group so right. who's going to be in the squad for the next day mm-hmm. and the photographers and camera yeah. guys to get yeah. some footage and stuff like that nothing serious really happens in there so remember when Mauricio Sarri kicked off before the Europa League yeah, final? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because the training session was open the whole time, so he couldn't do the secret stuff that he wanted to do. Okay, so you're setting the record straight. Because, because a lot of people yeah. thought that there was some sort of argument between what? Louise and, so, and Higuain. In, 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 and terms, then... in terms of me setting the record straight, I'm telling you what the official reason was. Right, okay. Whether, <laughs> whether, whether that actually, actually was the reason he kicked off, right, I don't okay. know. Yeah. The official reason from Chelsea was that he was annoyed um, that he couldn't do, I think, his set piece training. He's superstitious, right. Mauricio Sarri. So he leaves um, set piece training is one of the, is the last thing he does mm-hmm. in his training sessions the night before a game or something like that. Right. Mm. Um, and he was annoyed he couldn't do it because obviously set piece training is a secret thing. You don't want the opposition to know yeah, what you're going to yeah, do. Yeah. But the whole of that training session night before the game was open. Um, so in terms of seeing, uh, it's you know it's difficult to answer who would be the best player in training because I, I I've not seen yeah enough. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously certain skillful players you would love to see just sort yeah. of. You know, I'd love to see the likes of Hazard. You mentioned him. Mm. You know, Ronaldo, those tricky players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to have seen Ronaldinho in training or something. Mm. I imagine that would be ridiculous to watch. Mm. Um, in terms of the best player I've seen live, oh, that's, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. Uh, the one, the one occasion that kind of sticks out when you ask me that question. Oh, t- actually, <laughs> funny enough, because you mentioned him earlier on. One of the best little bursts of football was I've seen a couple of things from Özil. I remember. Um, the Leicester game earlier on oh, the season yeah. okay. at yeah. Arsenal yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at the Emirates when he it was like he literally just decided to turn it on for about what was it 10-15 minutes that was an unbelievable little burst of football mm. from from one player um, one game that really sticks out in my mind was quite early when I was at the Daily Star I remember when Barcelona came to play Chelsea in the Champions League mm-hmm. and uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's press box is quite low so you're, you're at pitch level yeah um, Chelsea, I think, won that night. One nil. It was a Champions League game. They won one nil, and they were they were defending for quite a lot of the game. And what stuck out of me was that like, the intensity of watching okay. Barcelona that play. It was it was was kind of peak Barcelona at the time. I can't remember the year it was. Um, but was watching watching yeah. watching the likes of Messi and that the, in, the intent the intensity that they play at. Yeah. Oh, it was just. I remember getting to half time and just messaging somebody saying, I'm knackered, just watching them. <laughs> Seriously. Just wow, because wow. it was like you're just watching them move so quickly, they press so quickly, and it was just, yeah, it was frightening. I mean, I've watched, obviously, got to watch some good players. I remember watching Ronaldinho with a new camp, but then I was just on holiday, so that wasn't like in a work capacity. Mm. He's, he's, for me, Ronaldinho is my favourite player of all time. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, so Ronaldinho is the best player I've seen. Yeah, like, obviously, yeah. I saw Messi that night at Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a difficult game for Barcelona as a whole because Chelsea defended so well. So yeah. you know, chances weren't, weren't the best. It wasn't flowing Barcelona. Um, but yeah, they're just a few few mm-hmm. occasions that kind of spring to mind, I think. Fair point. Um, so taking things away from the pitch now mm-hmm. and, 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 and um, more um, focused now back on, on, on your career, mm-hmm. Um you obviously mentioned that from time to time you go to these conferences and 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 I think you mentioned you were recent. Was it the UEFA president or the yeah or on Thursday, uh, Thursday, Wednesday? One so yeah, so, so fairly so fairly recently, you go to these conferences, you go to these events, you look around, and my assumption is that you don't see too many people who look similar to you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I guess I, what I'm trying to get my head around and, and understand is, do you find it difficult being a, a black male in your industry? Um, and what can be done to encourage more people to, um, to, 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 you know, to, to be within the industry? Because I think, yeah, I again, this is, this is something that we've, been, we've spoken about mm. at length on, yeah. on a few other occasions, mm. just about how, how we can uh, encourage more diversity mm. at the top level, whether that be in terms of race, whether that be in terms of gender. So, you know, mm. do, do, you see, do you see many black people? Do you see many females uh, at, at these events that you go to? And, and, and if not, what can be done to, yeah, to, to encourage remember, more um, of that? Leon Mann had a great piece... Um, maybe a month ago and he was talking about just talking about the raw statistics in the game and I think he was saying like there's like eight eight of you guys in the industry and he was saying that like we need, there needs to be change so just leading on to Budge's question just to add another question on top what does need to happen? I'll answer the, the second part first mm-hmm. um, I mean for me what what we need in an, in an industry is the the decision makers, the people who appoint people, you need more um, ethnicities, people of color in those positions, mm-hmm. and and I say that because you know obviously this this topic has been a big one, especially this year, uh, since Raheem Sterling sort of shone a light on the media, mm-hmm. um, and the the treatment of, of black footballers was what he was referring to, mm. um, I, and and what you will have is without ethnicities in those positions, there's a lack of education. Uh, and understanding of 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 the the issues that affect ethnic minorities, and you have um, if those people if those people aren't there mm. in those positions, then when it comes to recruitment and appointing people, in some ways I, I you know I understand the the saying the phrase I've heard is is people appointing people who look like them, mm, yeah. and in some ways you I kind of un- understand it if you mm. see what I mean. It's I, I don't think it's. I understand how it can happen. Basically, yeah, is is yeah. what I'll say on that. So, for, so for that to to change, and in terms of improving diversity, mm-hmm. you then need more people who look like more different people. Yeah. So then more. So then more people are represented. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a situation. I was talking to a, a colleague at another paper this week. The situation going on in our industry at the moment, where there's a big recruitment drive going on um, at a publication, and somebody mentioned to me, "Oh, you know, there's there's no." ethnic minority faces or you know that are, that are involved in this process and you know you, as i said you can kind of for some people the the, the thing with race is for for some people who have never suffered as such you know when you're speaking to people about being racially abused yeah. you want to speak to certain people and they they can't understand they can't resonate because yep. it's never happened to them yeah. right yeah. Mm-hmm. it's not their fault that they don't understand 100% they've yeah. just never they've never experienced yeah. it so likewise, when you if you were speaking to certain people, uh, you know about this recruitment drive or about the lack of ethnic minority faces in the media, and not just in the media, you know, we're talking about the media because I'm here, but across society, um, if you were to say to them, "Oh, why are there no? Why have you not recruited X, Y, Z?" For them, the issue might not be an issue that they even mm-hmm. think about. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> is that their fault? I'm not sure. I'm not mm. sure if you, I'm not sure if we can say mm. that's their fault for not thinking. It's it's not it's not it's not even something that will even enter their consciousness. Mm. So, if we get more, if we improve the diversity in the positions of power, then it starts to make people think. Yeah, you know, we can't expect people to think something that never has never uh, affected yeah, them. Yeah, never experienced. I don't. Yeah. I don't. 
I don't think that's really fair to accuse somebody, you know, to expect somebody to be thinking way, way outside the box. Mm. There's mm. certain situations we just have to accept. It's just never they've never affected certain people. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. But, then, so, but so then if you if you, then if you improve, um, by you know by improving the diversity around people, then they only then will they start thinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll see it from that mm-hmm. person's perspective. But until until somebody's been put in that position. There is a part of me that can understand why they don't think like that, because you're you're ultimately asking them to think about something that never yeah, never troubled them before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with regards to the Daily Mail, they've been in the headlines, mm. you know, for a lot of the wrong reasons with regard to, I think, Tosin Adarabayo and Phil mm-hmm. Foden, mm-hmm. the way that situation was reported. So are uh, Mail Online doing anything, you know, to address these issues and, you know, um, start seeing more diversity in. In with regards to that newspaper, well, it's interesting because actually, I've I've gone in there um, as the third black sports reporter they got, well, fourth ethnic minority because Sammy Mockbell, my colleague, is an ethnic minority as well. Um, so, so fourth actually, um, and we got Anthony Hay and Luke Augustus who work in, inside on the website. Um, but in terms of, I think the the one of the big points that Raheem Sterling spoke about and raised. Is is the wording that's used, and I think that's that's the real big thing that I think the media have taken. There's, there's a lot of talk about unconscious bias, mm-hmm. words that are used to describe uh, black footballers in particular. And I think one of the the best things that he did is he's he's kind of shone a light on the language we use to mm-hmm. describe um, black footballers. Um, I've had I've had and just just yeah, just the way we talk about them. When I, I was at the Mirror at the time when that situation. Um, was occurring and I had a couple of situations after that actually that oh, I'll mention because we've got time and I just think they were, I think they were quite interested and I think they were I think they stemmed from what Sterling said mm-hmm. one was uh, involving Mamadou Saku, uh, Sako sorry at Crystal Palace who um, the Mirror were doing a campaign about homelessness um, I think it was homeless yeah homelessness it was um, and he was speaking about how much he does for charities and how much he, he gives back through his own charity work. Yeah. Um, somebody at the, the Mirror spoke to him, did a nice piece where he was talking about it. And one of the photos that was used was of him and his and his wife, glamorous looking lady, standing in front of a helicopter about to go on a flight. And I was thinking, <laughs> I saw it and a couple of other people saw it. And we just mm. thought, hold on, this guy does lose the charity work. There were loads of photos around of him doing charity work. Mm-hmm. Like, why have you got him talking about people who have got next to nothing and you've shown him mm-hmm. effectively living a life of excess? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, about to, he's about to get on a helicopter and go mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and, you know, I had a chat with a couple of colleagues and we, we called up and, you know, we kind of just made the point to them. It was like, you know, you need to kind of think about how you're presenting yeah. black people. You kind of got to think about, you know, this is the sort of thing that Sterling's talking about, you know, because some people may look at that and, and just go anything. and basically yeah. just go oh look here's you know look at this rich footballer yeah, blah, yeah, rich yeah. black footballer blah 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 you know next to him you've got a picture of somebody who's you know sleeping mm-hmm. in a cardboard box mm-hmm. oh. and you know they might not even read the words they might just see the photo and yeah. just be and like that's it. and then, make the and then, and then yeah. the judgment's done mm-hmm. and then you know one of the guys in the office he just changed it like that he was like oh you know blah, blah, blah. I didn't think about that so you know we're talking about having black people in and every one of those positions yeah, yeah. in some ways I, I kind of understand you know this is that photo is the one that through whatever process that person who picked it has been socialised to use mm-hmm. it, maybe they wanted to show the contrast or maybe they know that in those situations you have to show the contrast between mm-hmm. the rich and the poor so that's the one we use but the 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 downside of that is 
some people will draw conclusions about Mamadou Sako yeah. as a black footballer. Of course. You know, and you might not even read what he was saying, which was really good. Mm. I give back. I do loads for charity, which mm. is what he was saying. Mm. But some people might not make that link. They might just see the photos. And it's only until somebody says to them, and I, you know, a couple of us emailed in and just going, you know, you kind of these are the, you know, kind of got to think about what Sterling mm-hmm. was saying and your portrait, how you portray black people, blah blah blah. So that was quite good because it got changed straight away, and maybe one person learnt a little something about yeah. it. And yeah. We'll yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was another situation uh, soon after when I I went and spoke to Jaden Sancho. I was among uh, you know all the papers sent someone over to Germany to speak to him. He spoke about a variety of topics. He was very, very good, generous with his time, um, came across very well. Uh, one of the issues he raised was about himself being a role model for kids from South London mm. um, and him getting away from whatever situations were uh, sort of cropping up in the estate he was from. Yeah. Um, and he was explaining how he moved to, because he moved to Watford, first mm-hmm. of all, and he said, like, you know, I wanted to go away and be at that boarding school because I needed to get away from what I was going through in South London. Um, wrote the piece. Um, you know, we, we tried to... I say we as a whole, not not me specifically, but um, you know, a couple of the journalists were trying to, you know, asking him, you know, what were you trying to escape from, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. you know, be specific because, you know, it was explained to him if you don't, and then people will draw their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, I don't want to, I don't want to get into it, you know, it's just bad stuff, and he didn't want to talk about it anyway. So I write the piece, and one of the guys actually then got back to me um, when he was about to put my piece online, and he was saying to me, oh, I just wanted you to check the headline. This is what we're going to use. Um, are you alright with it um, I wasn't alright with it and I changged it um, well, I'm sure there's no problem mentioning it he wanted to the, the headline was something on the lines of you know Raheem Sterling opens up on escaping from mm. you know what the sort of gang problems or whatever yeah, the cult, yeah. you know I, I don't know these I can't remember these words but escaping from trouble in South London yeah. and I was I was saying that and, you know I said to the mullet no could you not do that because and, you know, this is not me to big myself up, but just to explain how things are changing, yeah. right? Um, I said, can you not use that headline? Because he actually didn't want to talk about it. He actually mm. was trying to not highlight yeah. what yeah. he was mm. speaking about. Yeah, There was loads of other stuff he spoke about that was positive. And if you have a story about a young black boy and trouble, it's almost a little bit stereotypical. Yeah. And I said, it's almost like, I don't know whether he was thinking himself, I don't want to talk about that because mm. I don't want that link to be made. But personally, I just thought it was a bit unfair to have that as the the one thing you take away from that piece. Yeah. When it was actually yeah. it was actually it was actually referred to quite a way down in the piece as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but what I took from that was not so much the 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 headline that the guy wanted to write because again, that's that's what is written about footballers. So mm-hmm. people who are in those jobs writing headlines and stuff, that's what they write about. Footballer yeah. rags of riches story, blah blah blah. That's what people want to read, but. What encouraged me about what encouraged me about that situation was just the fact that I was asked. Okay. Mm. Do you see well, what I mean? It shows it's more yeah. conscious yeah. now. Yes. So yeah. before yeah. that would just get released. Yeah. Before mm. before you weren't even asked. Now I don't know I don't know whether the guy was asking me because just because I did the piece, or maybe he was thinking about, oh this is a black football I'm mm-hmm. writing a headline about. I don't know. I don't know again mm-hmm. because I never asked. Mm-hmm. I was just encouraged that I was asked and given a chance to Yeah. Say you know have an input. Yeah, have an input on how a, how a black footballer was portrayed because it is an issue. It's an issue, and 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 I was I was happy because if I can't help how a young black footballer is being portrayed, and if I can't have a say, yeah. then no one's gonna. Yeah, do it. of course. You know what I mean, I'm you know I'm as I said to you before, I'm not I'm not anyone. 
but I'm I'm in a position when I get asked in that situation to influence what headline people read. Mm. So I was pleased to have that opportunity to make sure that people didn't read another story about another young black boy yes, escaping yes, trouble so, to mm. do good or be good. Mm. Just lastly, before we move on to, I guess, the women's game, yes, I just want to um, ask, next season, the AFL implementing the Rooney rule. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your take on that? Is it, again, tokenism? Or do you feel that this is the step that we need to take to, you know, potentially influence change? I think, I think tokenism would be, if you had to appoint, a black person. I don't think there's anything wrong with making making it a rule where um, where clubs have to at least interview one black candidate. And I say that because you know I've spoken to players who have come up, black players who have come out of football and decided already decided not to bother pursuing the coaching route because they don't okay. think because they don't yeah. think they're going to get a chance. I swear, Danny Rose said that when he retires, that's it. He's packing yeah. up. No, no. And and at least now by implementing something like that. Um, black players, uh, black players who are going into coaching, young black coaches, mm. know that there is something in place now, which means mm-hmm. that there's a better chance of 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 them being heard. You know, it doesn't mean that clubs have to appoint said said black uh, or ethnic minority coach who sits in front of them and does the interview. But mm. at least there is a process now that yeah. will that will will mean that that they can be heard. And I think the other thing as well that will that, that's good about or the, the knock-on effect of that will be, is there will be a bigger pool of of coaches who, or of players who come out of the game and don't think that coaching is not a, a route worth going down. Mm. They'll now actually consider it, okay. which means the yeah. pool gets bigger, yeah. which means the chances of getting jobs, mm-hmm. or having yeah, everyone who's in jobs yeah, is yeah, getting gets bigger. bigger. Yeah. It doesn't happen straight away. But it takes. These things mm. take time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to get qualified. They need to get whatever experience they can get. Um, but at least there is now something in place which makes it seem more a career path that's worth pursuing. Mm. Fair point. And and just um, going back to what we were talking about just before that 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 question that um, Dot raised was um, basically your you guys have as, as journalists you have the power to inform and the power to change perspectives and perceptions and that kind of thing and. And what we wanted to touch on was women's football, especially mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's a great time given mm-hmm. the fact that the w- the Women's World Cup is, is, is being played. Now, it, what it feels like, and I, I could be wrong, but what it feels like is that there's not much coverage of of um, the, 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 the Women's World Cup, or not as much as there could be. But I mean, if... No, if, no, no, but let's, let's look at the positive side. First mm-hmm. of all, there is now coverage. Yes, Ten years ago, there was no coverage. Correct me if Fine. I'm wrong. So let's put the positive okay. spin on it. Let's not just say there could be more coverage. And and I've been saying this for for weeks and months yeah. now. Is that people? Why are you comparing the women's game to the men's game? Mm-hmm. It's its own entity. Like yeah. I know it's football, but we don't compare women's tennis to men's mm-hmm. tennis. Like physically, women cannot. Do the yeah, same thing you can take. You get Football and tennis is different over a hundred years. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying tennis to say. Tennis so. has been put in the same light as the men's game. So right now we're at a stage where mentally it's difficult to accept. And, exactly. And, exactly. And, and this is, and, this is and, where my question is mm. because... I mean, I, I understand and I agree with you that there, there, there is coverage, which, mm. is, which is definitely a step in the right direction. But... And, and, and how this links with the, the point about 
journalists and, and media being able to change perceptions is that it almost feels like universally with football fans people don't regard the women's game as 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 highly as the men's game for example what, what i think needs so, to be so done c- c- can journalists and the way that they they, they portray in in their articles work to change the perception of the wider public on the women's game does, if does that make sense i think the women's game needs to be tailored to the women i think number one they could probably make the goal smaller they could if you look in boxing there's mm-hmm. two minute rounds for women mm-hmm. if you look at other sports tennis in the grand slam it's best of three sets yeah. well, that's, so that's i think they need to can't. maybe make the goal smaller maybe 30 minutes each side and maybe look at making their own tailor-made stadiums mm-hmm. because as you say, women have only got so much they can do physically. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, you know, do the same as men's. And mm-hmm. I think that's what needs to happen. And I think it will happen. Mm-hmm. But I think there's been major strides in the women's game. And they're doing a great job of bringing it to the masses and, you know, bringing it to the mainstream. I agree. And I would also say in terms of the coverage, I think there's a lot more this time around yeah. Yeah. compared to yeah. four yeah. years ago. Yeah. And that's just progression. And, you know, these things... As I said before, this is another thing mm-hmm. that will take time for people to um, accept. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think accept now because I think with, with the women's football now, I think people understand it's here to stay. It's only going to get better. It's only going to mm-hmm. get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs to grow naturally mm-hmm. in its own time. I've mm-hmm. you know a lot of papers have sent people out to France, obviously closer. Um, I think the last one was in Canada. I think I want to say Canada. I think mm-hmm. um, the last World Cup. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I just think there has been more coverage, a lot more focus. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the mail, for example, I think we had probably a spread mm-hmm. every day on it, pretty yeah. much. Um, and and it's it's growing, it's growing. Mm-hmm. You know, the the focus is there. You you see the players talking about wanting to be judged the same as as the men in the sense of they don't want to be patronised. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And and just be you know a little pat on the back and on you go sort of thing. They want to be criticised because mm-hmm. then they'll know that their game is being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the debate uh, that's going on at the moment in terms of how it's growing, how to improve it, whether it should be treated separately, and the rules be changed and yeah, things yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk going on around about women's football. It's, and as I say, it's here to stay. It's mm. it's, it's developing. Um, so would you say it's, yeah. it's really just a matter of time, essentially? In that, as 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 time goes on, as, as things progress, there's going to be tweaks, things change, and 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 and. You know, again, going back to the point about perception and how people see the game, sometimes yeah, a, sometimes it takes time it, it for people's perceptions to change, right? Um, and uh, you know, people mm-hmm. have been thinking a certain way for X amount of years. Yeah, that's not going to change. That's not going to change overnight, yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, no, no, it's not. And I just think even even in terms of the growth of the game, it just needs to be allowed to grow naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sort of run before you can walk yes. and all these sort of things. You know, and I just think if it's if it's allowed to grow naturally and develop naturally as a sport, and in some ways I, I like that, I think you said it, you know, treat it as a separate entity. And I, I kind of think that it is that and it mm. needs to, you know, at first to kind of make, get it to this, this the level it is at now. People have been looking at it in the context of the men's game, but that's, I think, yeah, but in some ways I think now the fact that there's talk about how to make it individual is a sign now of how, how serious it's being mm-hmm. taken, yeah. if that makes sense, because, if you make those changes, you make it you make it more 
it, it, it will be it will be taken more seriously. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was listening yeah, yeah. to. to this has a different set of rules. Yeah, I was listening. I was listening to Farrah Williams, and she was who plays for Reading and was part of the England, the last England squad at the World Cup. And she was saying, you know, when they play at the Medeski Stadium, you know, even they, you know, they find it hard and stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah, talk sport. I think. She was yeah, so she was she yeah, was yeah. saying that, and you know, there is this debate about how to how to improve it, and that's what all these changes that are being talked about. That's what they're all aimed at. To mm-hmm. improve the game, mm. if you improve the game, people take it more seriously. Mm. And like, if you, if you, you know, if you're, if you're watching, if you're watching a game at the moment and you're just seeing, you know, basically knackered players in the last ten yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's, that's whatever, exactly what I was going to say. I was watching it what yesterday. Does, yeah, it, does, it, it mm. makes it. I don't. I don't want to say fast because that's that's too strong, but it makes all those people that are trying to talk the women's game up. It would make them not take it seriously because you need to. You need to look at these ways to to improve it, mm-hmm. make it better, and then it becomes a more credible product. And, and that's my point. Like, no disrespect, the intent, no, the quality will never match the men's game. But as long as you get that intensity to a hundred percent, that's when it will mm. it will explode mm. pretty much. Do you, know, do you know what I'll say about what, what I'll say about the quality? There's, and I'll, I'll be honest, there, there are games that I've started watching. And I've I've not been able to keep watching because mm. of the quality. But when you see the, the the teams and the players who have been playing it longer, you can see. you can see the you can see the quality and the you can see them mm-hmm. as natural footballers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, their games like the USA Thailand, which finished thirteen nil, massive gap. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamaica lost five nil to Italy mm-hmm. yesterday. I think it was again big gap. There's there's been other games where you've been able to see you know a real gap in. Mm-hmm. Even, to be fair, the England, England game yesterday there was a real gap in quality. England gap in quality, just had all the ball, but, but you see some of England's players. You can see that the game over here is more advanced. Yeah, Nikita Paris was you just look at beat. Paris, yeah. you look at Frank Kirby. Mm-hmm. Um, Jules Scott's obviously been playing a long mm-hmm. time as well. The number eight in the midfield, she was just. Tearing up and down yeah. the pitch, like, so, literally. So you, you know, Alice Greenwood at left back. You see some of these players; they've been playing for for longer. Mm. They've obviously been exposed to to better coaching. Mm. Um, you know, the game comes more naturally to them. You can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. And so the longer the longer it the longer the game is played. I mean, I remember at one stage last season, I was just going for a run Sunday morning in the park. There was just loads of girls sessions going on. Mm. You know these these girls mm. are only like six to eight, but what it means is, in ten, fifteen years, absolutely, these, these girls would have been playing football mm-hmm. from six. Yeah. So the same age as the guys, you know, the male footballers yeah. that we're watching now who come through and play in the Premier League, yeah. also been playing from that age. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the some of the um, the players in this World Cup, I don't know how long they've been playing football. Mm-hmm. But would they have been able to have designated coaches mm-hmm. coaching from the age of six? Probably not. A lot of mm-hmm. them, you read their stories. Um, and they're talking about you know when they were when they wanted to break into football, mm. they had to go and play with the boys, or they were told they couldn't even play, mm. you know, or they're reaching X age before they could, you know, find a team of girls. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when when I, you know when I see that you know when I went for that run and I saw those girls teams, exactly. these girls these girls are gonna have a full structure, yeah, all the way from six. So you imagine the footballers that are gonna be female footballers yeah, are gonna be playing in this country yeah. in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Even for us, like our potential daughters mm-hmm. now they yeah, have yeah, that exactly. platform mm-hmm. to, yeah. to play football. And they can earn a legitimate career because mm-hmm. I think the highest paid player at this World Cup's getting maybe yes. eighteen thousand mm-hmm. or yeah. something. A lot like of that. them like so mm-hmm. they have to do other jobs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they said that the plan for the next World Cup is to t- turn the majority of nations, like players playing for the nation, they're professionals. Mm-hmm. They're actually because at the moment a lot of them are semi pro. Yeah. And my point is is that 
that's why we, these girls and women shouldn't be berated because they're actually doing it for the love mm. of football, not because of money. Mm-hmm. There's so many male footballers that say, I, I do it because it's a job. Mm. The minute I stop, I'm just good at it. Yeah. But these are people that are actually doing it because they love the sport. Mm. Yeah. And, that's, and that's, you know, again, just going back to, I suppose those, those, those girls that, that I saw playing that Sunday morning, that, that's what I mean about the time it takes. Mm. So it's going to, you know, when, when, those, when those, those young girls develop, and the, the best of them become professionals. You know, their, their, their competition that they've had to beat to become professionals mm. is more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there are more girls playing football yeah. at a grassroots yeah. level. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it just means that the quality is just going to get better. And, better. and where we're only seeing it from maybe a, maybe, you know, where, where maybe now in this Women's World Cup, you're only seeing that, that top quality from a handful. Mm. In, as I say, 10, 15 years, you're seeing it from, from more teams, double the amount mm. of teams, maybe mm. all the teams. Mm. Absolutely, man. So definitely, it's an interesting uh, topic. It's certainly not one that we've 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 looked at from from that perspective. So we really appreciate your your views on that one, Adrian. Um, I'm just conscious of the time now. I think we've uh, one and a half hours. Wow. Yeah, 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 man. It's been it's been, but uh, as always, man. When there's when there's you know interesting topics to discuss, you always lose track of time, man. So um, we just want to first and foremost say a massive thank you yet again to you, Adrian. Thank no you so Thanks much for, for taking thank the time you. out thank you. Thank to you. come on um, and and share your experience, share your insight. It is really really helpful to see things from a different perspective, you know. Um, and, and to educate us, and I'm sure uh, you know the people that are listening to this podcast will, will feel the same. Um, so, so thanks for that, and also thank you to all of you listeners that have listened up until this point in time. Um, we just want to remind you all, if you haven't yet followed um, our Twitter handle, for you to follow at podcast underscore tbg. Also, please do share the episode around with your friends, with your family members, your work colleagues. Um, continue to tweet us. Uh, maybe you've got an opinion um, on, on some of the topics that we discussed that you want to share with us. Please do so, man, and use the hashtag uh, TBGpod. We'd love to hear your, your views on the women's game. We'd love to hear your views on, 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 on journalists and, and what you, <laughs> you feel about uh, uh, the, the, you know, uh, transfers and, and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, again, thank you, uh, all to listen. thank you all for listening in. And we'll catch you again on the next episode. Over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.